0: All right, our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 28, and Exodus six twenty-eight going on through 7, uh, verse 7. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us, and Lord, we do pray that you'd help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed, to hear your word. Your word for your people, your word for our lives, that we would live as those who have heard your word and who put it into practice, letting it change our lives, who we are, what we do, how we do it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 28 and going through 7, 7 now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did it just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Turning then to our New Testament reading. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Then James and John, oh, by the way, this is right after Jesus has just predicted his death when he gets to Jerusalem. Um, And we'll see how well his disciples have understood that message. This is Mark 10, 35 to 45. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing our series in the book of Revelation, which continues to have weird images and symbols. And uh, I will remind you, it is a vision. It is a vision that has been given to John while he's on an island of Patmos in exile. He's not, not allowed to go home because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And has anybody ever had a weird dream before? Have you ever had a weird dream that then you try to explain to somebody when you wake up and while you were asleep and while you were having the dream, it totally made sense. It just made complete perfect sense. And then you go and you try to explain it to somebody and you start realizing well now that can't possibly have been the case because it was it was like it was two things at once. So you have um, you're telling them about it and you're like, okay, so it was that I was in our house, but it wasn't our house. It was a, it was a different house, but it it was our house, but it wasn't our house. It was a different house. You're like, I don't even know how to explain it to you, but in my dream, I knew that it was both my house and not my house at the same time. Like there was a dream logic that kind of makes sense while you're in it. And then you try to explain it in terms that you know, exist in our physical lives. And we go, yeah, you can't have something that is your house and not your house. Like, that doesn't work. What are you talking about? And we kind of run into the same problems when we run into these visions in the Bible, whether Revelation or elsewhere, where you get these symbols that are rich in um, what they mean. And, you know, you talk through to somebody, well, when you had this dream of it being your house but not your house, in what ways was it like your house? In what ways is it not like your house? What was it about this and what might that mean about what you're, what you're thinking about there and what you understand home to be? With with John, with his vision, we get these symbols and we have to, if we try to force them into a kind of physical reality now, we're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work that way. And sometimes people really try to force it that way anyway and then it just becomes ridiculous. <laughs> but these are rich symbols. And this morning we get, uh, if we can kind of wrap our heads around that, understand that this is going to be involving some dream logic. This is going to be a vision that the chapter that we're about to read is revelation chapter five. And I said last week that kind of four and five is the heartbeat of all of It's It's the heart of the whole thing. And in some ways it's kind of the heart of the whole Bible. And that's really where we get with chapter five today. Like it is the stuff that's right here in chapter five that could, if, if we have ears to hear Change the way we view everything. If we have ears to hear. If we can follow through the symbolism as it's presented to us, uh, or the the truth that's being conveyed in these rich symbols. And so where we are is picking straight up from chapter 4. And in chapter 4, what we saw is the throne room of heaven itself. And so John gets to see what it's like. Is God really ruling over the universe or not? Has he just left it completely abandoned? Are we on our own here and we just got to make our way the best we can? Or is he actually ruling and reigning over the universe? And John gets to see this vision of God actually ruling and reigning in the universe. And not only is he ruling and reigning, but there are representatives of every living creature and all of God's people from all time who are there around his throne and worshiping him and giving him praise and honor and glory for he alone is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And it is because he is the creator of everything. In other words, we can do whatever we want in this world only because God has created this world. He has created us. Everything we do is a part of his creation. There is nothing that we can do that's truly outside of what he has already done. And so for this reason, you have all these representatives of all living creatures, all creation, calling out the praises of God. He is worthy to be praised. And so we see, we saw that last week, and we get these things, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then later we see the 24 elders saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive Glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And following immediately on that, John tells us this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is huge stuff. I've mentioned before; nearly every word of Revelation is drawing on something from the Old Testament, and this chapter for sure does an awful lot of that, bringing so many of the things together in this vision. And so, the more you are familiar with the language and images and uh, yeah, just things going on in the Old Testament, the more you read this and go, "Oh, wow." Oh, wow. And the less you're familiar with that, the more you read this and go, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> this is so bizarre. But uh, here, so let me just kind of walk you through some of this. It is amazing. We're talking about this vision continuing of seeing the throne room of heaven, that God is on the throne. He is actually ruling. He has not left this world abandoned. And then it says that he's got this scroll in his hand and the scroll has writing on both sides of it. And, and this scroll is sealed with seven seals. And that's like the wax seals, not like the, you know, sea lion seals. But anyway, it is closed. You can't open it. And it is the kind of seal that you have to break it to open it. And so it 's kind of a security measure, like you know if somebody 's tampered with it well it 's sealed nobody 's been tampered with this, but also nobody can open it and This scroll is um, it 's like the revealing of god 's blueprints for the new creation like how do you get from genesis one <laughs> how do you get from Genesis one all the way to revelation twenty two How do you get from a good creation in the beginning that has then been broken by human sin, how, how do you get that restored? How do you get to a new creation where all is as it's supposed to be? How do you do that? And, you know, we've had the whole history through the Old Testament. And um, one thing I've heard on that is somebody saying, why, why? The Old Testament's so long. Why does it cover so much history? Why is it that um, God doesn't just send Israel or doesn't just send Jesus immediately, but we have to go through this whole period of the kingdom of Israel and all? And one person I heard on that said, it was to show us that even if we had a thousand years of trying to get it right, we still don't get it right. <laughs> and so you get to see every way in which people just continue to fall short of the glory of God, that all of us fall short. And this is the problem here is now we have this blueprint for how is God going to make everything right again? How is he going to make it all good when we have such, we've made such a mess. And so then we have this mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. So there's the question. Is there anybody who's actually worthy to do that, to look inside and to see what it is that God has proclaimed and actually to enact it, to be the foreman of this project. It says, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. John is in heaven weeping because it is in this moment of seeing the perfection of God and his goodness and his glory and his, and he's, everybody's praising God for his greatness. And yet then he kind of turns and sort of surveys all of human history. Every person who's ever lived include you and me, and says, all right, who among all these people has not contributed to the brokenness? But who alone, who, who is it out of all these billions of people? How many of them have actually gotten it right? Start to finish. Have lived a life that is entirely glorifying to God. Entirely reflecting the goodness of God into his creation. He said, we couldn't find anybody, but somebody's got to lead this project. Who's it going to be if there's nobody who can do it? And so then you look at the promises God made early on and that he's repeated throughout of where there's going to be this new heaven and new earth, this new creation. And John goes, maybe we're never going to see it. Maybe it's not going to happen If there's nobody, you know, generation after generation after generation, there's still nobody who can lead this project. But it's in his weeping with despair over the kingdom maybe isn't going to come. One of the elders says to him, do not weep. (laughs) Do not weep because there is someone. It says, see, or look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. And so the first thing is, there is somebody who is able to do this. This is wonderful news. Don't weep. Someone has done it. But who is it? It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. This goes back to Genesis 49, where the, um, Jacob is blessing his sons and talks about, This lion is going to come from Judah's line. And then in Isaiah, where we have uh, Isaiah 11, this root of David. It's going to be somebody who's a descendant. Yeah, root is kind of what springs from. How can it be somebody who is both David's son and also his Lord anyway? But this is what it's getting at, that there's somebody who comes from the line of Judah, somebody who comes from the family of David, who has done it who has triumphed and who he hears that it is, is this lion, this lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered great. So then John turns to see this lion and he does not see a lion. And this, if we get this in our heads, it changes how we view everything. He looks for the lion of Judah and what he sees is a slain, sacrificed lamb. A lamb that has been sacrificed and yet still lives. How do you have that? How is it my house and not my house? <laughs> this lamb that has been sacrificed and yet is alive. A lamb that is also somehow the lion. A lamb that has seven eyes and seven horns as though it's got all wisdom and all power. And yet it's a lamb and is slain and is standing at the center of the throne. This image is one that can help us understand so much about who Jesus is. About who he is. Uh, you know, is Jesus God? Is he not God? Like, so you go, okay, yes. Here, here he's definitely presented as God. But more than just that, but like who is Jesus as a king who rules? How is it that he rules? Is it like the lion or is it like the lamb? And this is where you know we go back and look at what we just read in Mark 10 of James and John, after Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And they respond with ignoring that (laughs) and thinking we're headed to Jerusalem where he's going to be the king. Hey, can we sit on your right and left when you become king? Uh, You don't know what you're asking because Jesus knows that the way that he's going to be the king is by going to the cross. There will be people on his right and left, and those have already been appointed, he says. He's like, you don't know what you're asking. I have already told you I'm headed to sacrifice, and you think that we're just going to skip that? This is the same James and John who had the nickname the Sons of Thunder, and there was a time that they came to a town that rejected Jesus, and they're like, hey, you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus is like, um, no, (laughs) that's not the way that he rules and reigns. And so the people had been expecting this Messiah who would come in and who would deliver the people of Israel from the Romans who would show up and restore the glory of the olden days of Israel back when David was ruling and it, things were just great. And Jesus is like, that is such a small vision. That is not what we're about here. What we're about here is something much, much bigger, and it's actually a much, 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 much more serious problem than you even perceived. I don't know if you've ever had something that you know an awful lot about. Like if you know an awful lot about football, for example. And not just like know about it, but like you're, you're coaching it. You're in it. You're, you're dealing with all the things. And then you have somebody who comes up and they, they're they like sitting next to you watching the game. And they're telling you what people ought to be doing on the field. And they don't know anything about the game. <laughs> and how, how do you feel in that moment when they're talking about the stuff that you know a lot about and they're saying this kind of stuff? You're just kind of exasperated. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's so much more going on than you can even see. I've told you this story before. I had a, a brother who... Uh, was quite critical of a coach with his son's little league team. And so then the next year, uh, that coach wasn't doing it anymore, and so he volunteered, I'll, I'll coach him, sure, I know how to do this. And he said he became much, much less critical of all coaches going forward <laughs> because he realized that there are a lot of things that you don't see from the sidelines that as a coach you're having to deal with and balance all these things. And how much more so the king of the whole universe And how much do we try to armchair quarterback the king of the whole universe? And we're like, oh, well, what you ought to do is just drive out the Romans and then we'll be good. And he's like, no, no, that's not it. You don't get it. Well, we should just call down fire from heaven and destroy this town. And that way they'll know. It's No, that's not how we do things here. (laughs) There's a lot more going on. This is a whole complicated thing. And If we're going to put this new creation into effect, you're going to have to trust me that I actually do know what's going on. And so this is where we see this lamb as the ruler of the world. This lamb who leads by sacrificing himself. And we go, well, that just sounds like, sounds like weakness. It sounds like just giving up. It sounds like he's just being passive and just letting everybody run over him. That's just, that's it? What? But remember that this is the lamb who's not just slain, but who has seven horns and seven eyes. That doesn't just mean it's it's weird looking lamb. (laughs) These things mean something. And and the horns are symbols of power all throughout the Bible. Eyes are symbols of knowledge and wisdom. And so here he is, the one who has all the power in the universe. Seven, complete, full. He's got all the power of the universe. He has all the wisdom, knowledge of all the universe. And suddenly him going to the cross doesn't look like weakness. But this is the ultimate strength of the one who knows this is how it has to be. This is the way to bring about the rescue of my people and of the whole creation. And so he goes to the cross, not in weakness, but in strength. But it's a strength that looks so foreign to us. The disciples didn't get it. He kept telling them, this is what we're doing. This is the way. This is how we're going. And they kept looking for earthly strength, earthly power, earthly dominating your enemies. And Jesus kept saying, no, 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 (laughs) no. Love your enemies. That's how we do this. Be willing to lay down your life for the good of others. That's how we do this. Quit trying to call down fire from heaven. Follow me. Pray for those who persecute you. What? This looks so backwards. And yet, John, you know, James and John, the sons of thunder, the ones who wanted to be at Jesus' right and left in his glory, in his kingdom, the ones who wanted to call down fire from heaven, John as an old man gets this vision where he hears the lion of Judah has triumphed and he looks to see the lion and what he sees is a lamb sacrificed for the good of the people. This is the one who is worthy to take the scroll. This is the one who is worthy to be the foreman of the project going forward. I had absolutely planned to <laughs> move on to chapter 6 next week, but there's no way. We are definitely out of time, and there's too much that we have to see in chapter 5 before we can move on. So we will pick that up next week in chapter 5 again, but for now, let's just have that image before us, in everything, that Jesus does have full power, that he is the lion he doesn 't stop being the lion; he is the lion, but it 's the way in which he rules as the lion is actually as a sacrificed lamb, and when he calls us to follow him, he calls us to follow in that way of sacrifice. There are some people who will say that well, everything changed after that, and that you know They were to follow him to the cross. But then after he's raised from the dead in victory, now he's a lion. He was a lamb. Now he's a lion who dominates in power. And so he sends the Holy Spirit so we can go out and crush our enemies like James and John wanted to do. That's not the case. If you actually follow through historically what happens to each of the disciples, they all end up killed because of following Jesus. They are filled by the Holy Spirit to go out and spread the good news of this kingdom of God. And apparently what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus is to follow the way of the cross. This laying down our lives for the good of others. Following not a ruler who rules like the rest of the rulers in this world rule. Tongue twister. Not the one who rules like a trampling lion. Like a sacrificial lamb. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is how Jesus is presented as the ultimate ruler, as the only one who is worthy, and yet who rules in such, such a different way than the way the rest of the world rules, but in such a better way. And we are called be those who follow him in that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do pray that you would help us as we look out on this world, as we look out on our lives, as we look out on the lives of those around us. God, help us to see through this vision that you have given us. God, it is so tempting to chase the things of this world, to chase the power of this world. God, help us to recognize where true power lies. Paul tells us that it's your power is made perfect in weakness, and therefore he says he will boast all the more gladly about his weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on him. That help us not to be seduced by the power of the world. Help us to be those who are willing to boast in our own weaknesses. That your power, the power of a sacrificial life, would be evident in the way that we live, the way that we serve, the way that we love. We pray all this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Saying, our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And it is not the temptation, deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.